Welcome to the PVYA Orthodox Youth Podcast. My name is Henri Sorel, and I'm here with Nick Wood to discuss uh, internet orthodoxy, online lay theologians, and possible challenges they may pose to our faith. Uh, Nick, if you could introduce yourself to uh, the audience real quick. Yeah, so I am a native Michigander, um, a recent graduate from U of M, and I guess uh, in terms of, uh, you want me getting my conversion? Uh, yes, you were uh, previously Roman Catholic, is that correct? Yeah, so I was, I guess we technically converted when I was like two, um, so, but I, so I don't really remember not being Catholic, you know, I, I grew up, I grew up Catholic, and pretty serious about it you know i would have like debates with my protestant friends growing up and stuff so but when i was uh i was about like i guess like 20 ish um i had a conversation with a catholic friend who told me about byzantine catholicism and i guess that was kind of my first exposure to like the aesthetics of orthodoxy so going into a Byzantine Catholic church, you know, the, the icons were really, um, you know, they were kind of a big deal for me. And I, I was very like drawn to them. And, and so I became very interested in that. And I, I had another friend who was, uh, he was also Catholic, but he like was very ecumenical with Orthodox and like went to a lot of like different uh, Orthodox services as well as Catholic mm -hmm. services. So um, th this kind of a roundabout way that I first like got exposed to Orthodoxy that wasn't necessarily through the internet. But after that initial exposure, um, the internet definitely um, played, a, played a supplemental role. Um, I mean, for one thing, you know, that's that's how I first reached out to a priest when I had some questions, you know, so it's over the Internet. So All right. um, and then, you know, I, I used used the Internet, but also like, you know, found a local parish. Um, and yeah, it was was uh, probably probably a mix. Um, and, you know, I was doing, you know, theological stuff but also like you know other like maybe more debatey type stuff uh, online okay yes so. uh, definitely a very large part of the e-orthodox scene as it exists now is centered around debate apologetics that's probably the single biggest uh sphere out there is just is debates with either roman catholics or protestants or secular people yeah uh so if you were to do your conversion differently at all, if you had the chance to go back and do everything over again, uh, do you think you would keep those online resources you mentioned in, or would you uh, redouble your efforts to do everything through brick-and-mortar parish, old-fashioned books, keep everything the same? How would you do it? You know, I think that the online aspect was actually an important part. I don't... I used to be one of those people that was like a bit, bit more of a Luddite, you know, and like the internet is bad or whatever. And now I'm, I don't really see things that way. I think, you know, the internet has a place. And I mean, I know there are some people that like, uh, have been exposed and they don't even have 
you know, they've never met an Orthodox Christian in real life. And I mean, if you're just hearing about it out of nowhere, like, hey, that's great. Like, that's one of, I mean, you know, in the, in the old days, the Roman Empire, which definitely had its negative side effects, was used by God to, you know, create an effective ground for evangelism. I think we're kind of seeing the same thing with the internet. Like, it, it is, uh, it is exposing a lot of people and it can be very helpful, especially when you're, um, especially if you're someone who is already involved in a church community. And so you might be hesitant to attend a Sunday service in particular. Um, so you, you know, but you can look online and it's kind of like a non-committal way to kind of get exposed and like start, start learning. So I, I think it was an important part. Yes. Yeah. In in broad form, I think I largely agree that it's not, the internet is not inherently negative. It is fallen and part of a fallen world. Yes. But just as you mentioned, just like God used Trajan and Alexander to pave the roads that the apostles will walk. Uh, so too can the internet be sort of a road of its own for many converts potentially to seek the church. There are certainly, I would imagine, thousands of people alive today who would not be in a real church today were it not for that initial online exposure. So there is certainly a lot of good that can be found online, and we can't just dismiss it out of head and say, it's all evil, it's all horrible, we, we should just wash our hands of this entirely. Right, and I also think, like... I don't want to get into names of specific people, but like, or like specific online personalities. But um, I think when someone does come to a church, you know, try to like <clears throat> whatever you think about the specific online personalities that brought them there, like, hey, they're there. So don't necessarily like, you don't need to like diss on like the the online personalities that brought people there i mean what whatever brings people to the door like there's there's a lot of things that bring people to the yes, door yes yeah and, you know even even you know bad reasons people can bring to the door i mean think of saint mary of egypt you know she did she didn't come to jerusalem for any kind of good reason so whatever whatever the source like you know if someone's in the church it's like all right well glad you're here let's get to work yes absolutely i couldn't agree more i've always said even if someone comes into the church for the wrong reasons what's important is that they ultimately stay for the right reasons exactly. and i think in most cases that's what we see there's always going to be exceptions of course but yes to that end i think the internet serves as an excellent on-ramp for the church so long as you don't start using the internet as a substitute for the real church and start make making a bigger deal, putting more emphasis on your internet orthodox experience than your actual pastoral experience in a real brick-and-mortar church. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people will probably find as they are orthodox for longer, I mean, I know I've found this, that they will kind of lessen their internet interest over time usually, and they they might like change focus like i'm mostly at this point if i'm going on the internet for like orthodox information it's mostly for like you know i might listen to an occasional uh you know priest sermon or something but i'm not 
Um, well, I'm not watching debates nearly as much as I used to. I mean, apologetics has its place, but once once you're in the door, it kind of you know your interests will probably change, and you know that's fine. And and look, the internet's not necessary. If you find orthodoxy completely without any internet sources, like cool. But you know, it's it's also not like wrong to find it over the internet. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And apologetics, it's uh, it does have its place. It is useful uh, if someone is inquiring and is legitimately unsure between two positions that we defend the church's position, of course. But I think we should also just uh, be realistic in the fact that for many of us, what draws us to the apologetics, to the vicious debates, is uh, the same thing that draws people to WWE, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, people go there, you know, if you are watching WWE and your favorite character is, I don't know, The Undertaker, if The Undertaker goes in and he beats up some other guy or he gets beaten up, you are not going to uh, stop being a fan of The Undertaker just because he lost the match to someone else. So you are going to get pumped up for the rematch. You're going to get involved in all of these uh, little side stories and blood feuds that are happening with the different characters. And with apologetics, that's often the reason is especially with the online stuff, what people get so invested in it, it's just that they want to root for their team. And while there are spiritual benefits that come from this, it's that's not why most of us are drawn to it. If we are being honest with ourselves, and I think we should in order to uh, work towards our own salvation as much as we can. Yeah, I mean, I definitely... I definitely, I guess, needed that kind of apologetical approach at, at a certain point because i had a lot of like you know again i i was a catholic who knew a thing or two about theology you know enough to debate it with other people and so the the argumentative side was definitely necessary for me because i needed to be able to see the rigor of the position to which I was going to grasp. And also another thing um, is, and I don't want to like sound condescending or anything, but the biggest difference that I've noticed between orthodoxy and Catholicism, which was, was my background, but I think it, it might be true of other backgrounds as well. The biggest difference is really the mindset, you know, like, you don't come about problems in the same way and you know you're you're not necessarily asking the same questions um and so the nice thing about a debate type format is you don't necessarily have to have an orthodox mindset in order to kind of understand the orthodox position you know it's like orthodoxy for non-orthodox it, it can be that way but you know there are also the dangers of like you know i the more i uh i guess the older i get i mean i'm not that old but like the older i get the less i'm interested in sophistry i guess i'm not really if i'm listening to a debate i'm not really interested in so much the skill of the debater as just like what is what is the content you know like are they 
you know, like, can we use this debate as a way to arrive at truth? And I think that should be the focus of, of any debate, not, not just who's better at debating. Uh, just now, I think one of the things you mentioned was uh, the lay theologians that are often engaged in these apologetics online. I think this would be a good opportunity to talk about uh, one of the issues that this might pose is that, uh, strictly speaking, many of these uh, laity who are posing as teachers and educators in orthodox doctrine online are not supposed to be doing so. If we look uh, through the canons of our church, uh, specifically 64 from the Council of Trullo and uh, the 1341 Blackernai Synod, which is the uh, the first Hesychasm Synod, uh, both of these uh, are reflective of the teaching of the church and that they explicitly forbid they explicitly forbid laymen from teaching any kind of theology. This authority, according to these councils, lies only with the bishops. And laity, if they are going to engage in teaching at all, need specific, explicit permission from their bishop in order to do so, because they are acting effectively under his authority in the bishop's name. It's not something you're really able to do on your own, and I think this does pose some risks. Yeah, I mean... There's more to orthodoxy than theology, so, like, there are some channels that are, like, a lot less theologically focused, and, you know, there's some that are more so, but I think a good analogy here might be the legal system, because, you know, to represent someone in court, you know, you... You either need to be representing yourself or you need to like be officially certified or whatever. And so I think if you are a lay person who has not, you know, gotten an Episcopal blessing to be talking about theology, you either want to you want to come at it from the perspective of this is how i understand things you know like i'm not an official representative that should kind of be emphasized you know it should mm -hmm. just maybe you're you're more like um you're more like us you know just sharing notes with another student as right. opposed to leading you know leading a lecture um and yeah i mean if you if you come at it like like at the very least you you have to come at it with that attitude of like i'm not officially representing the church this is just kind of what i've gathered kind of how how things have made sense to me yeah yes absolutely that sh yeah, we should we should always be clear if we're if we are laity speaking to other laity on our faith we said this is how i understand it but i am not an authority on this please don't treat me as an authority on it uh, what you don't want to see, which unfortunately does happen sometimes, is you have these people online, they build up a user base, they are, you know, a certain level of internet fame, insofar as that's fame at all, as online personalities, and they say, I am an authority, listen to me, don't listen to this other guy, he doesn't know what I'm talking about, I have all the right answers, and then next thing you know, you've got people, you know, e-anathematizing one another in Twitter replies, <laughs> uh, declaring anaxios upon a upon someone who disagreed with their latest YouTube video or what have you. And uh, this is especially dangerous, I think, not just for all the obvious spiritual reasons and that uh, participating in this kind of behavior is going to be spiritually dangerous for us, but also in that, uh, for better or for worse, many of these internet personalities are people's first and sometimes only exposure to orthodoxy. So they are they are acting as representatives of the church because we all act as representatives of Christ in everything we do. And if this is the 
the first thing people see about the church that can be uh, it might turn them off from it or it might give them the wrong impression of what the church is what orthodoxy is and uh well we obviously don't want that and the thing is many of these people they are the biggest presence orthodoxy online they often have some of the most information about the church online so people will go to these personalities or the spaces associated with these personalities to find info on the church and unfortunately just because uh orthodoxy is still very much a missionary faith in english-speaking countries uh they're sometimes the best you have for english resources and that you know you're you do you kind of have to go to a youtube channel or to a blog if you want to find something very specific because you won't you won't be able to find something that specific elsewhere from a more, quote, official source. Or you can, but it's all in Greek or Romanian or some other language that most people in the Anglosphere do not speak. Right. And I think maybe something that, uh, since we're doing this on the Feast of St. Basil, maybe some wisdom we can take from him is the idea that we should be a honeybee and not a fly a fly looks around for gross things and then uh you know further divulges into you know disgusting activity whereas a bee goes to a flower finds what's good what it can take and then leaves the rest so if you see people online behaving in an unchristian way there's no there's no advantage to you to trying to stop them, I guess. Um, I mean, you could pray for them. Um, and yeah, you, pro you probably should pray for them. Uh, but uh, there's nothing that you... There's nothing you need to do to try to stop them. You can just let it go. You don't have to engage with the media. And I think that could be a potential danger is if you're engaging with media that is not helping you and and i get it too i mean like there can often be very interesting and appealing uh media that's actually not spiritually beneficial for you i mean not everything is good for everyone you know some words are like when saint Silouan, I think he had the, you know, the, the famous saying, keep your mind in hell and despair not. Um, he was apparently told by the other monks after a little while, like, please stop saying that you're really not helping us. Um, and so, you know, what's helpful to one person might not be helpful for somebody else. And, you know, you, what an individual says online is probably gonna be mixed you know there's probably gonna be some things they're saying that are more universal more higher in quality um and then there's gonna be some things that they say that are maybe more problematic more opinionated more passionate and you don't need to let that impact your spiritual life you can just let it go and it might you know it obviously you know easier said than done sometimes but you don't need to try to fix people online just pray for them and focus on your own spiritual life if you've gained anything of benefit thank god and if you've uh gained anything problematic just talk to your priest and he'll 
be able to help you sort through that and uh, you you will be able to find peace. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we can always, if we see something like that happening online, we should best take that as an opportunity to humble ourselves and in doing so grow in our own spiritual life rather than engaging in polemic ourselves and, well, engaging in polemic for the purpose of trying to correct or fix someone else. Because often we're, even if you in doing so are doctrinally correct and the person you are targeting is doctrinally incorrect, you're often just adding fuel to the fire because you're just taking what might have been a minor spat and you're turning it into uh, this gigantic spectacle, uh, which for everyone around to see, which really can only make things worse because uh, doing this will inflame passions on both sides. You'll say things you didn't mean to say. The other guy will say even more things he probably wouldn't have meant to say. And even if you come from this from the ostensible position of trying to defend the church and the church position, uh, in doing so, it's very much possible for us to just end up being an even worse witness for ourselves. Uh, ourselves. And because of that, we should strive to avoid that temptation. Take, take as you said, St. Basil's honeybee analogy, very good. Take the good, leave the rest. Yeah. And, and also, you know, try to be a good example online as in your everyday life. I mean, there's going to be problematic people that bear the banner of orthodoxy. There's going to, you know, uh, Christ said scandals will come. It is inevitable that they come. Um, but woe to him by whom they come. So let's, I guess, try just try to be the good presence online. You know, try to if you if you have an orthodox platform, you know, try to maybe disengage from other platforms. I mean, I I think one of the most problematic things is, especially if you're speaking negatively, but. <clears throat> I think one of the most problematic things, especially if you're speaking negatively, but but even if you're speaking positively, can be, you know, mentioning specific Orthodox personalities online, you yourself online. I mean, if you're having a conversation with a friend, you know, I think you can talk about online personalities. But if you have an online platform, I think it's usually best to try to avoid talking about other specific online platforms because you can kind of just fuel into the factionalism i guess you know you can you can create a bad witness to the faith if you're like constantly digging on all these people that you've found online and um yeah or if you're like being like oh yeah but these guys are great and it's like well maybe they're not helpful for certain people. So they're just like kind of confused. Uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. If you uh, if you dedicate your online presence to trashing other people, we can't forget that, you know, just because someone is a public figure or a celebrity doesn't mean that talking about them isn't gossip. Gossip is sinful and something we should strive to avoid. And so if you turn your representation of the faith online into one giant sewing circle that's really not going to be helpful for anyone yeah i mean that's definitely a danger with the online in particular i think is the temptation to think of it as like an impersonalized thing and you know people say things that they wouldn't say in real life and 
have very divisive attitudes sometimes, and that's probably best. Well, one's opinion about specific online personalities is probably best kept to private conversations. Because again, like someone could have some material that is problematic and some material that's helpful and it, you know, different people could find something helpful or problematic based on, even if it's true, maybe it just wasn't the right thing for them to hear. So not judging other online people, especially if you yourself have an online platform and not gossiping about them or trying to slander them and create factionalism. That's all, it's all very important to, to try and be aware of those dangers. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. And I think specifically, uh, you brought up a very good point in that uh, things have to be tailored to individual people, where even if something is true, saying it to one person, they it might not be what they need to hear, it might not be what helps them through whatever it is they're going through at that moment. And even if what you're saying is true, it's very possible for it to just make things worse or even if not make things worse, at least not make things better, which is why uh, I think a good thing to uh, focus on is that uh, any potential pastoral advice that you see online, generally speaking, it's probably best to just throw that out because pastoral advice by its nature has to be personalized and local, right? Exactly. I mean, you you asked earlier if there was anything that I would change about my journey. And I think now... Uh, the biggest thing that I would change about my online journey is steering clear from all pastoral advice online. I mean, there's a there can be a fine line between just general spiritual advice. You know, there like there could be there's a lot of good sermons online, and sermons are not pastoral advice. Sermons are generalized. You know, focusing on the fundamentals of the faith, but if you're if you're anxious about like how you should be fasting oh should i how often should i commune how often should i confess you know the like those kinds of things or like the day-to-day -day aspect of what does my spiritual life look like you know there there are the only opinions that matter in terms of how you should fast are your priest and your doctor, maybe, if you have particular medical issues. But no one else should be telling you how to fast. I mean, I know people that have listened to online pastoral advice and injured themselves by jumping in to something they weren't prepared to do. Um, it Prayer can also be another example. Like, people can have think that they need to be praying like three hours a day or something or like say uh 5,000 Jesus prayers or something and you know when you're especially as an adult convert you have to realize you're you might be an adult uh physically but you're not an adult spiritually you're you're a spiritual child and you have to come no one comes into the kingdom but as a little child as our lord says so definitely if you perhaps lived in a rural area this might be the one exception to um don't listen to pastoral advice technically online but if you do live for example in an area where there 
isn't an Orthodox church nearby, um, you may need to go online to get your pastoral advice, but you, I would strongly urge you get in contact with a priest that knows you personally and is giving you specific advice because if, I mean, I've had many, uh, experiences where I saw a priest giving pastoral advice online and it just spun me into a lot of anxiety and despondency and you know these these priests might even be like what people might call based you know um you know or like strict and you know that's that's not what the spiritual life is it's not about being based i i hate to break it to you but you know it it's about union with christ and humility and so any you find a priest if you have one nearby and you don't think he's completely incompetent if if you the the litmus test for whether or not you need to go online for your pastoral advice is is there a priest who you don't feel is completely incompetent within your ability to drive once a week? If there is a priest who you can go to their church and you feel comfortable going to their church, I mean, you might have an experience where a priest, you could, you know, you could have serious problems with the priest and you might, in some extreme cases, be like, well, I just, I can't, I can't work things out with this priest, you know, and there can be a temptation to not, or to be judgmental in that respect. But if you have a priest who you don't feel is completely incompetent or is seriously harming you spiritually, who is within driving distance once a week, then that's who you should be going to for any questions about spirituality, fasting, prayer, you know, these these specific day-to-day aspects. And if, if you're going online, then you're going to people that do not have a blessing or the grace of the priesthood to be helping you, because the grace to guide people spiritually is given through the bishop, extended to the priest in those in his particular parish or his jurisdiction and it's not given to priests to just generally give anyone and everyone advice yes absolutely and yeah i'm glad you brought up the authority of the bishop and of course finding and only in the most extreme of extreme cases of which i would imagine there are very very few should you avoid the priest in person just because you know one of uh, the things we are called to is obedience and, you know, I'm sorry, but getting annoyed by your priest or getting annoyed by your bishop is not enough of a reason to abandon obedience, right? No, you're thinking, if anything, you know, you should see that, you know, as a test of your spiritual life. Okay, you know, you need, I need to learn to humble myself before this person who is above me, spiritually speaking, who is my authority, my teacher. Even even if I don't like them all the time, I, you should take that as an opportunity uh, to learn to be under someone you might not necessarily necessarily like or don't get along with and yes on yeah on the subject of having a priest blessing this was also something i wanted to discuss a bit earlier we were speaking before on the canons how 
you even if if you're a lay theologian you need the very specific permission of your bishop in order to teach theology because that is the strict purview of the bishops only uh getting a priest a priest's blessing to do just theology online is actually to my understanding i could be mistaken not enough in that uh, it needs to be specifically straight from the bishop because the uh because theology in these matters is directly a part of the episcopate so it doesn't instantly go like chain lightning to all of the priests under that bishop so you can so if you say oh well uh, my priest said i can do youtube videos sometimes that's not a license to you know go shouting anathema to anyone who you believe is mistaken theologically and on on theology you did say we did distinguish between pastoral advice and sort of doctrinal advice before but we should also take into account in orthodoxy we don't really have this sort of hard division between the scholastic church and the mystical church quote unquote where you know prayer and fasting is one thing and the ecumenical councils are another All these two things are highly intertwined in which your theology affects your spiritual life and vice versa and a good example i can think of this in which you know even taking quote theological advice online can impact your pastoral advice is uh i was acquainted with somebody uh, online, who was uh, a highly online person, you know, very active on uh, Orthodox discords and whatnot, very much a part of that scene, uh, who chose to uh, read the canons in his own way. And I'm at risk, a little bit of hypocrisy here, because we were talking about canons earlier, but I will, I open myself to correction from the Episcopate if I am mistaken in reading uh, Trullo and Blackrenai. But anyways, this person, he... Uh, he was reading the canons online, and uh, he came across the canon that uh, forbids the engaging in interest or usury. And uh, normally, canons are supposed to be interpreted by the bishops, right? The, the bishops reads the canons, they choose to what degree and how they'll be enforced in them, and this and that. And it's very important for us as laity to receive our canons through the bishops. Uh, but this person, he read this canon on interest rates and usury himself, and he decided, oh, wait, I have a car. That car has a car loan on it. That means I'm committing usury. I better stop. And so because of his personal readings of the canons, he ended up selling his car. And because he was a pizza, pizza delivery driver by profession, ended up losing his job as well because through his personal interpretation of the canons, he effectively sabotaged his own life. And this is something very spiritually dangerous that can happen. I figure it's worth bringing up because the line between pastoral advice and theological or doctrinal advice can be a lot blur blurrier than we might expect at one point. And this person, uh, I do pray for him sometimes, is uh, like he ended up uh, going a bit further in this, and that he eventually concluded that his own priest was an ecumenist and enabling ecumenism. And eventually, just because of his personal readings of the canons, he effectively excommunicated himself from the church entirely. And while he professes to be Orthodox, he does not go, ch go to church because he doesn't like his local priest and that is that is an extreme of course that's not something most people will be driven towards but it is a risk and i think one that we should be cognizant of whenever we're engaging in these online orthodox spaces yeah i think if you have never had a scenario where you thought your priest was wrong about something or you thought like like come on what what did what are you talking about? If you've never had a scenario where you kind of questioned your priest's judgment or like, or just flat out had a disagreement, I think that's actually a red flag because you want to, as my mom always says, we don't check our brains at the door. 
you know, you come to orthodoxy with your own experience and you don't have to, uh, you don't have to throw everything away. I mean, you, you want to be transformed, but it's not like there are some things in life that are legitimately unclear and you might have, you, you will have scenarios where you disagree with your priest and that's okay. And you, that can be an opportunity for humility, but you don't want to, you know, like just take on all of these, you know, questions yourself. I mean, again, a lot of people that get too interested in canons end up, you know, joining non-canonical groups sometimes, unfortunately. And, you know, economia is however you want to pronounce it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> economy. I don't know. Anyway, that, that word is not, it's not a slur. Like it's actually a real and important thing and, you know, it affects the, you know, the day-to-day -day living, but it also can affect the theology. And it's like people really can, we sometimes forget people can err in good faith sometimes. And mm -hmm. theology, again, theology and spirituality are connected. Um, but just because someone has a slightly different understanding of something or maybe emphasizes certain things doesn't mean that they're a heretic necessarily. Um, and there can be, there can be gray area in both spiritual in spirituality and theology sometimes. And, you know, I mean, I mean, there are, there are real answers, you know, we're not saying there's no right and wrong. Um, but sometimes there are difficult things to understand and someone could be saying something that is misheard and misinterpreted and two people could think that they disagree far more than they actually do they're just coming at it from different perspectives and emphases yes yes, yes yeah again economia is an excellent example of how canonical and doctrinal matters are also pastoral because the enforcement of the canons is ultimately to the purview of each individual bishop and that is a pastoral matter all right, we are coming up on time here. So uh, we spent a lot of time here speaking about uh, the pitfalls of internet orthodoxy and all of the bad stuff that happens. And so just so that we're not all about doom and gloom here, <laughs> uh, I figured we could talk a little bit about maybe possible solutions, possible things we can do to counteract some of the negative influences that might be out there. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I think there was a priest who i once when i was first engaged in orthodoxy there was a particular priest who i saw a little bit of content from but didn't think much of and then later on i saw some people kind of slander him a little bit to be honest and you know call him a normie i guess and so i kind of was like you know, a bit off put by that. And so I didn't really listen to much of what that priest had to say. And then I saw a couple things that he made where he just, he made a, he made some statements in a conversation with another priest that I just could not deny the humility in those statements. It was a very profound learning experience. And 
that kind of changed my perspective on it. And it's like, you have to realize the people online are, you know, struggling sinners just like you. I mean, even if they're monks, you know, they're still struggling in the same battlefield that we all are. And you kind of don't think of them as don't think of them as less human than they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, any online personality that you're seeing is not omniscient. You know, they're not, they're not angelic. They don't have perfect knowledge of how everything is going to affect them. And so approaching, you know, approaching people with good faith, you know, try, try to avoid, try to avoid judgment of people online. If, if something is problematic, Again, you don't have to try to change them. You can just just be like, all right, well, like I've I've I had an experience where again, I, I'm gonna based and based and normie and whatever, these are <laughs> these are words that you know my friends have often used. So but the, you know, there was a priest who even seemed very based to a lot of people who I have decided I'm never gonna listen to anything he says again because for me it's not spiritually helpful. But I need to be careful not to turn that into judgment and of you know of him or of people that find benefit right yeah him. because there are some people who will benefit from that and yeah i guess one thing i considered as a possible solution or alternative not al- not alternative just a solution is uh if in the catechumenate if we stress the importance of hierarchical obedience and the hierarchical interpretation of the canons in the catechumen if we make sure that everyone coming into the church is aware of this I think that could help uh, combat to some degree the uh, possible negative influences of the online scene. Because if you understand that, okay, I should not, uh, as a layperson, lay I am not a teacher in theology. As a layperson, I do not interpret the canons. The bishop interprets the canons and tells him how tells me how he's going to enforce them. That would probably stop a lot of these potential problems before they start. Right. Yes. And, you know, especially if you're, if you're not only a layperson, but you're also a neophyte, you know, you're yeah. someone who hasn't been Orthodox for even five years. So, yeah, I think, you know, listen, the ultimate solution is that you you need to develop your spiritual life to the point where you have a good relationship with a spiritual father and he's guiding you and he's helping you. Uh, he's helping you you make the calls on you know your day-to-day decisions but also like you're probably going to see some things online that bother you at times and when that happens don't panic i mean i've had many times when i you know i saw something online like some canon or whatever like one time i was looking at the you know the cannons around not eating blood and i was like freaking out it's like oh can i never eat steak again and (laughs) and you know it just took like a simple conversation being like yeah um that the 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 red stuff in a rare in a rare steak isn't actually blood and if this was something that you had to be worried about you probably would have heard it you know (laughs) if it's really a big issue you're probably not only gonna hear it in an esoteric online forum you know so building a life in a parish and a, a spiritual life um and avoiding avoiding the spirit of despondency you know if if something is causing you 
if something is just weighing you down and causing you despondency, reach out to your priest. Don't don't worry about annoying your priest. All right. The more look, they're they, they signed up for this. All right. I'm not aware of any forced priestly programs so far. I mean, maybe we'll <laughs> see some of that in the future. I don't know. But uh, your priest signed up for this, and they're they're you know they're gonna answer for you and at the, at their judgment. But they're also they're here to help you, and more often than not, you're probably not annoying them. And even if you are. Again, that's their job. So it's right. like if you have a doctor, you know, you don't worry about going to your doctor with like too many, you know, spiritual problems. If something is legitimately bothering you and you can't resolve it by yourself, don't be afraid to reach out and talk to your priest. They are there to help and they're almost always going to help you. Um, and eventually it will become very obvious if you can no longer be helped or if you, from a particular priest and and that's not always a bad thing like sometimes you know certain people just aren't the right fit for for others and if you have multiple priests around you well you might you might get to a point where you have to you have to switch priests and that's okay too you know it's mm -hmm. you don't you don't need to take it personally but yeah i i just i would i would probably say that Okay, yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, an excellent note to uh, wrap this up on. I'll always listen to your priest, and often, yeah, t often the thought, oh, I'm just going to bother my priest. Uh, sometimes that thought isn't yours. Sometimes uh, that could be, you know, a demonic influence of some sort trying to get you not to go to church that time because you don't want to annoy the priest. Don't 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 go to confession. You don't want to annoy the priest. Yeah. Don't take the sacraments. You don't want to annoy the priest. That's not that is not the position we want to take. No, absolutely. But, yeah. Oh, great. Well, that uh, that wraps up just about everything I had to say today. Uh, thank you, Nick, for coming on with us today and providing your perspective on things. Thank you. Happy to happy to help. I, I hope I was of some use to you and oh, yeah. those listening. Yes, yes. I hope this conversation will be edifying in at least some degree to whoever it is that hears it. Amen. Maybe Amen. so.